you are visiting with us or if you have any prayer requests, we encourage you to fill out this piece of paper in your bulletin and drop it in the bucket on your way out. We will follow up accordingly. Um, If you are with us online, you may uh, submit prayer requests through our website. It's a great way to let us know how we can be in prayer for you. Um, Let's see. A couple things coming up on the horizon. Um, Probably the first uh, of those is starting this Tuesday night, we will have a small group meeting here at the building, live and in person, face-to-face, called Reboot Trauma. And it may sound um, a little weird to you, but this is a, a course that some of our church members have been through in a military capacity, there's, there's a, on Saturday, we will start Reboot for Veterans, and that is for trauma that is specific to military service. But on, we've, the, the couple that we've been developing this with, or the two couples that we've been developing this with, both felt like this is rich, fruitful material that can be rolled out in, in two different directions at the same time. And so there will be a Tuesday night, reboot for, let's say, civilians, or you could be military and have gone through trauma that was not related to your service. That might be a good fit for Tuesday night. But then Saturday mornings at 9 a.m., we will have a reboot here in the building that will be uh, only open to military veterans, active duty service members, and their spouses. So um, if you have combat or service-related trauma, Saturday morning is the context for you. Uh, If you are just a regular Tom, uh, then Tuesday night would be for you. Does that make sense? And in both cases, uh, it works better if your spouse comes with you. So if you can both plan to be here, if you need child care, we can arrange for that. Uh, We just need to know it's coming so we can accommodate that. Um, but uh, any other details about Reboot, John? No, just, just come and experience it. Okay. It, Jack tried to get me to go for probably three years, and I might be a little bit hard-headed. No. And I've been in and out of the VA psych system for a while, and Reboot's the only thing that's really helped me. So. Okay. So if, for those of you who are listening online, uh, one of our members, John Davern, who's a military veteran, uh, claims that he, he tried everything the VA would, could throw at him to try and help his uh, trauma recovery. And Reboot's the only course that ever really, he ever felt like really helped him. It is faith-based, um, which won't bother you, but if you're inviting someone to come with you, just reassure them it's not like cramming it down your throat kind of faith-based. It's just we're looking at God's Word and how it speaks to our trauma, and there's some really relevant content there, and just a good, healthy place to process some emotional pain, and uh, encourage you to participate, to sign up, to be a part of that, in whichever capacity uh, fits your situation the best. If you don't know, and you have questions, find John after the service, and you can kind of pick what's left of his brain, uh, 
yes, thank you. Two shows nightly. Don't forget to tip your wait staff. Um, but uh, that's coming up. That's probably the most important thing we have coming up. And then on a super silly note, youth group fall Bible study kickoff. There's no Bible study at the kickoff. Let me just reassure you that we're going to be throwing jello in ways that you didn't know jello could be transported. And, and so that will be happening on Sunday, September the 25th, in spite of the email that I sent out that said September 21st twice. Because that's the kind of pastor you've got to deal with. Um, I think I did send out a correction the next day, but whatever. Um, so youth group fall kickoff coming up on the 25th. If you just want to help, there's a couple ways you can do that. There should be some boxes of Jello on the entry stand as you come in. Just pick up two, three, four, twelve boxes. I don't care. Uh, make some gelatin. The the ones we have purchased in advance are all sugar free. Otherwise, we will have a bloom of ants beyond comprehension. Um, so we, but you are welcome to make and bring any jello you so desire. We're going to need a lot. So we're going to cover like a slip and slide in jello. We're going to have a baby pool full of jello, and then we're going to be throwing jello all over the place. So, uh, and I don't really know how this relates to Jesus, but that's what we're going to do on September the 25th. We're just trying to encourage our youth to come and get excited about the Bible study that, that follows. Uh, that never works, but we do it anyway. Yes, it'll be fantastic. Um, and you're welcome to come and volunteer, take pictures, make snide comments, whatever you want or to do or find helpful, we welcome it. Oh, yeah. All right, fair enough. Down boy. All right. Um, so then on that same day, before the jello starts flying, we are going to have a congregational meeting. And I'm going to try to explain briefly what that's all about. And I just want to ask you to be in prayer about this. So just recently, our, so when Hope was started in the year 2000, I had one of my seminary classmates, I invited him and his family to join us in starting Hope Church. His name is Darden Kaler. He's an ordained pastor in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You may have heard of that. Um, and he was here for the first you know, seven years of his uh, ordained ministry in our denomination. And then Hope Church sent him and his family to St. Peter's, Missouri to plant a church there. And he has labored in that endeavor, or labored in that endeavor for several years. He's now on staff at a church in St. Peter's, um, and he's been back to San Antonio a few times in the past year uh, for family-related reasons. And in each of those visits, I've been getting comments from many of you, like, hey, why don't you get the band back together? Like, why don't you bring Darden back on staff at Hope? And so that idea has been floated to him and his wife and his family. Uh, all that is up in the air and in discussion. And so we're just being really open and honest about this. Um, I want to emphasize that the... The interest in this has largely come from many of you who knew Darden back when he was on staff here, and he's been back a few times, worshipped with us, 
preached here, and I've gotten a lot of good feedback. Like, man, he just really feels good to have him back. And so we're going to explore that possibility. The congregational meeting will be, uh, uh, there will be time for discussion and questions. We will try to have some nuts and bolts ready for that meeting as to what this would look like, both financially and in terms of expectations and job descriptions and definitions of, of uh, you know, areas of service, etc. Um, but please, for, the, for now, just be in prayer for that. Be in prayer for the, the clarity of God's will as it relates to this possibility. And uh, then we invite you to that meeting to kind of further discuss and uh, figure out if this is what God wants for hope, which we, we honestly don't know. But, but we kind of feel like there's a something developing, and we'd like to explore that. So that's what we're doing. Um, but, uh, you know, no funny surprises, just seeking God's will. What else? Am I forgetting anything? So in November, we're going to take, Hope Church is going to take a field trip to Lockhart, Texas. I've been invited to uh, present God's Word at a historically African-American church in Lockhart, uh, which will be hilarious, if you ask me. But at the same time, we're enjoying as a church some fellowship with the, between the pastors, and we'd like to get our congregations to know each other a little bit. And it's Lockhart, the capital of Texas barbecue, so you can't go wrong. I mean, so we're going we're gonna to just, like, put the, sh- put the Zoom on this screen here if you don't want to drive to Lockhart to worship. And then the rest of us are just going to invade First Baptist Church of Lockhart. We're going to worship with them, and then we're going to have Lockhart barbecue for lunch afterwards. Does that sound awesome? I think it does. Um, all right. But if, uh, yeah, if you're looking at the price of gas and going, no, it's not worth it, you can come here. We'll, we'll have the whole thing broadcast or on that thing. That thing, yeah. I'm a high-tech redneck. Um, all right. I think that's it. Why don't we just have all the important people come down to the front if you are in fifth grade or younger, we invite you down for our children's chat at this time. <clears throat> welcome, welcome. Hello, hello. Mila, I love the colors in your dress. How many colors are there? Like all of them. Yeah. Well, if you, if you lay the blue on top of the yellow or the yellow on top of the blue, you should get green. I'm just saying. Yes, that would be like light orange. I think I've lost them already. All right. Okay. Well, how are y'all doing? How's school going? Go, off to a good start? Did Comal ISD finally start school? Okay. Okay. All right. I mean, they're a little kind of, you know, Comal. Good. Well, it's good to learn. All right. I have a question for you.
Let's see, where should we take this? I think I know exactly where we should take this. So, Jesus, you've heard of him, right? Okay. And one day, he takes his disciples across the lake to another country, and they stop at a cemetery that's also a pig farm, and there's a crazy person there. You with me? So where are they? Are they in their home country? No. Are they in a cemetery? Yes. Yes. Uh, Is it also a pig farm? Yes. And what animal do you think God might have told his people Israel not to eat? Pigs, right? Which I don't know how you can, like, not eat bacon, but that's what they did. And so they're in a foreign country, in a cemetery, it's a pig farm, and there's a crazy person there. Does that sound like a fun trip to you? Would you like to come with me to another country and go to a pig farm that's in a cemetery with crazy people there? No, thank you. That doesn't sound good to me either. So Jesus went there, and it says, There was a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside, and the demons begged him to let them enter the pigs. He gave them permission. The demons came out of the crazy man and entered the pigs. The herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. You know what you call that? That's a pig hunt. You're not into this? Okay. As crazy as that story is, what do you think Jesus was showing to his people when he did that? So he healed this crazy person. And let me tell you, I'll explain. They, um, they came to Jesus and found the man, that's the guy that was crazy, from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. So after Jesus met with this person, how, what was the result? He was healed. Okay? And so God wants us to know that he loves us, that no one is beyond his reach, that he loves all of his children, and he wants us to be whole and healed and at peace with him and with the world around us. Does that sound good? So Jesus takes his followers into this wild place, right, that no one would want to go, and when it's over, everyone's at peace. Well, everyone that matters. There were a few people who were freaked out, but that's not important right now. Okay. How about this? God wants you to have in your heart peace. Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay. So even if you're in a crazy place, crazy people, you can still have peace. Does that sound good? All right. Let me pray for you guys. Dear God, we thank you that you are the God who brings peace to our hearts, who has entered into this crazy world 
and who has demonstrated his love by going to the cross to bear the consequence of our sin, that we might be forgiven and free. And we thank you for that sacrifice that your son Jesus made for us to show your love, not only to us, but to the whole world. And we pray that you would help us to remember when we're scared, when we're freaked out, when we're going through difficulties, that we can have peace in our hearts because of what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great time in Hope for Kids. Is she getting a free ride to Hope for Kids? You know, they keep growing. There you go. Strong girl. All right, will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning? God, our loving Father, we come before you, and as we open your word, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would help us to see those aspects of our lives that are in need of your grace, and that we would render them to you, that we would lay them down at the foot of your cross to know that we are forgiven, that we are free, that we are loved. And Lord, from that place of strength, that we would live in such a way that those around us would be drawn closer to you. And so, Lord, we, um, we pray for those relationships in our lives that are strained. We ask for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift before you those whom we know and love, who are sick, we pray your healing mercies over them, mind, body, and soul. We lift before you those whom we know and love who grieve, and we pray that you would comfort their hearts. We also lift to you, Lord, our men and women in uniform all over this country and around the world. We pray that you would watch over and protect them. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way, and we ask that you would bring them home safely. We pray for those who have returned home from their military service changed. And we just pray that you would pour out your healing upon them, mind, body, and soul. And that you would use us, your church, to minister that grace and peace to their hearts. And Father, we lift up your church here at Hope and all over the world. We pray that your word would go forth from the mouths of your people today and that it would not return to you empty. We lift all of those churches to whom we are connected through our denomination and our missions giving. And we just pray your spirit upon those movements uh, of your kingdom in this world. We lift up Paul and Elizabeth Branch in Guatemala and John and Diane Davis in Laredo, Texas. We lift up Pastor Miguel and Tatiana in Camajuani, Cuba at our sister church. We lift, lift up Pastor Patchy and his wife Marilyn in Havana, Cuba, We lift up Robbie and Joyce Hamd as they continue to serve you in Beirut, Lebanon. And we lift up Monica and Benjamin Bailey as they serve you in the Middle East. And we just pray your blessing over what you're doing in each of those places. We lift before you the the church plants that are taking place in our presbytery here in Texas, in Katy, in New Braunfels, and in Austin. And we just pray your blessing over those young works as well. Be with us now as we open your words. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
All right. So, past few weeks, things have been a little bit different here at Hope. Uh, in August, I think we had uh, Pastor Fritz Williams of First Baptist Lockhart was here, and that was a Sunday that he was available, and I said, just come on, let's do it. Let's have you preach at Hope again, and he did, and he uh, turned it on this time. That was a blessing. And, uh, and then the following Sunday, Darden Kaler was in town, and I asked, you know, kind of makes sense for him to preach here because he kind of helped start this thing. And uh, then last weekend, I was um, at a wedding. My nephew got married in Dallas, um, and so I had to go to Dallas, which, you know, nobody wants to go there, but, um, you know. Um, but I was, I was away for that, and then I'm home this weekend, and Scott, Scott Lawler preached last weekend, did a phenomenal job. Uh, I was very blessed in, in his engagement in that task. Um, and then just kind of full disclosure, I'm doing a wedding in Montana this coming Saturday uh, for a, a friend of mine that I went to junior high and high school with. His son is getting married, and they've asked me to do the wedding, so I'll be gone for that. Don't cry for me. I'll be fishing every moment I'm not marrying someone. Um, but uh, And then the following Sunday, my daughter... My youngest daughter, Annie, is a senior in college, and it's parents' weekend, so we're going to be there for that. She wants us to be there. We're going to be there. And uh, so, yeah, lots of different voices kind of speaking into the ministry of the Word at Hope recently. It's been good. It's been a blessing. Um, You'll get to hear uh, next Sunday from your elder, Mark True, who will be presenting God's Word, and then the following Sunday, Joe Novak, who's also one of your elders, will be presenting God's Word on that occasion. So it's kind of a uh, unique little time period in our, in our preaching schedule, and we're not in a, a series that's a, like got some cohesive idea behind it. Um, and so one of the things I told our elders was just, like, think about your favorite passage and pick something that you love, because if you're going to just do one message. It should be something you're familiar with and that you've already, it's already spoken to you in some way, etc. And that got me thinking about the New Testament passage I love the most, which is here in Luke chapter 8. And after I told the worship team I was preaching on worship, Luke chapter 8, and had the whole series set and everything was in place, I realized I like this passage so much I preached on it about 11 months ago. So some of you may actually remember that. Uh, if Judy Harrell were here, she would have the notes in a little notebook from that sermon uh, that she could show you. Um, but nonetheless, it's still my favorite passage, and I didn't realize that I just... So I'm, I'm approaching it from a slightly different angle today, and that is basically that each of us have a calling upon us to declare to the people around us how much God has done for us. And so we're going to look at this story that's often called the story of the demoniac or the demon-possessed man. It is a wild, wild story, and I'll try to help you get into how just insanely wild this story is uh, in just a moment. But I want you to just 
think about this passage as if you are that troubled soul. That you are in a state of isolation and rejection and just truly troubled at every level. And then I want you to watch how God not only moves toward you in that state of trouble, but how he draws from you a story that is your story, that is his, God's story through you. And so that's what I want us to look at this morning. Um, and I'm going to be using Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. And I'll just gonna, I'm going to set this up, just a few, few quick little backgrounds of Jewish faith and tradition for you. Um, if you go back to the book of Leviticus, there are some prohibitions in that book that if you break them, it requires you to go through this multi-week cleansing process. All right? Among those prohibitions, it is prohibited for anyone to touch a dead body. And so if you are a member of the Jewish community and you're the undertaker, all right, you've got a dirty job. And, and you are, as a result of your work, you are ceremonially unclean and you have to go through this series of rituals to sort of deal with that uh, in a corporate setting. And so you don't go around dead people. You don't go into cemeteries. This is one of the reasons that uh, the women were at the tomb of Jesus on Easter Sunday. The men would be like, oh, no, no, we'd have to go through this two-week hassle, right? And the women are like, yeah, we do it every, all the time. We're, we're over it. We, we got this. And so there's one. Then there are a certain list of animals you don't touch or eat. Most significant among them, pigs, Right? Uh, so you don't go around dead people. You don't go near pigs. They're not religiously clean. Um, and you don't, you don't go hang out with people who are not of your tribe. You don't go outside of Israel to make friendships. You don't go there. If you're a good Jewish person, you take the the more difficult road to Jerusalem when you need to go there, you don't go out of the country and then back in because it's flatter, right? A lot of people did, but that's not important right now. Um, so there are all these sort of uh, things in this, that are embedded in this passage that are super big no-nos that good Jewish boys don't do. And so that's how we're going to sort of come into this passage with this awareness that there's this set of no-nos that all of their mothers told them never to do. Watch what Jesus does. So Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him 
and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Is that bizarre enough for you? And I did, I left one out, I forgot one of the Leviticus prohibitions. Uh, One person is not to look upon the nakedness of another person. That's another one. And so they... Jesus takes all these good Jewish boys in his boat across the lake. They go into a foreign country. They land in a cemetery that happens to also be a pig farm. And there's a naked man there, right, who is then filled with demons. Like, we're just stacking up the crazy here, stacking up the no-nos, stacking up the weirdness. And... What's remarkable is this is exactly where Jesus wanted to be. He was on a mission to to demonstrate something to his followers, to demonstrate something to us, to demonstrate something to that soul that was tormented in that place at that time. And at the same time, to demonstrate who he is and what that means for all time. And so... Let's just, uh, let's just see what we can glean from this passage. And really, let's look at it from this vantage point. That man had a story that was nothing but tragedy, pain, and trouble. Up until that time, that boat, slid onto the sand in front of his home. 
most ancient pagan cultures make offerings to the dead to keep their spirits from doing bad things, right? That's the idea. And so this country across from Israel would have had this practice of taking little bitty pieces of food down to the edge of the cemetery and leaving them there to sort of appease the spirits, right? Sort of just a religious custom that was not Jewish. It was the uh, pagan custom of their neighbors. And this created a system whereby people who could not fit into society could get a little bite to eat every morning um, if they were willing to live in a cemetery. And then all land is useful, so if those deceased souls are growing grass, well, we can let the pigs graze. And so it's, it's sort of a dual-purpose place, um, but also a, a double down on uncleanness to the Jewish mind. And this is where Jesus chooses to show up. And this man's story is about to change forever, literally forever. He's going to be taken from this place of destitution and isolation and pain and sorrow and grief and agony to a place where all he wants is to get back in that boat or get into that boat and sail away with his Savior. And of course, that's you read the ending, you've heard it, but we'll get there. But his story is one of transformation. Your story, my story, are ones of transformation. We are fundamentally different because of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. We are changed. We are different. We are transformed. And I don't know about you, but I don't wake up every morning feeling transformed, right? No. Um, So I think we all need to be reminded of this, that we have a story, that you have a story that ultimately speaks of the grace of God, the nature of God, the love of God, the transforming power of the cross of Jesus Christ. So let's start with our before story. That's what we get in this passage. We get all the background on this guy, that he's, uh, he has demons, he's naked, he's living in a cemetery, he's Uh, occasionally been chained, but his possession is such that he breaks these chains and goes off into lonely places. Um, This is not a charmed life that this man is leading. He is troubled in every sense of the word. I think when we read any story in in the Gospels that involves Jesus interacting with people, we are supposed to identify with the person that makes us the least comfortable. So if Jesus is calling the Pharisees hypocrites, we should identify with them. We should look for our own hypocrisy. If Jesus is 
moving toward this lonely, naked man, we should see ourselves as we see him. We should see ourselves as, well, we should be honest about our starting point. We come to the cross only with the baggage of our sin. The only thing we contribute to our salvation is our own sin. I don't add anything to what Christ has done. I'm not smart enough or uh, enlightened enough to figure this out on my own. I am in need of the grace of God. My starting point is that of this man. I have nothing to offer in the equation of my salvation. In fact, all I bring is baggage. So, we have this starting point. That's where our story begins. We are lost, we are alone, we are confused, we are hurting, whatever. And because we start there, at a place of bringing nothing to the cross, it's all a demonstration of God's power. We are a demonstration that no one is too unclean for the grace of God. This man could not possibly be any farther away from the Jewish concept of ritual cleanse, cleanliness, there's, there's no way. He's, he's out there, and he's, but he's not too far that Jesus doesn't come to him to demonstrate that no one is too unclean. We are to show this in our own story, to be honest about our starting point, to be honest about whatever that uncleanness was, to show others that no one is too unclean and no one is too far gone for the grace of God. One of the things that, that always I, I, I marvel at it to an extent, and yet it's so universal it's not truly remarkable, but when any of us are, are wrestling with the idea of God's grace and his forgiveness and his love, we often feel like, no, it, it couldn't be for me. I've done X, Y, or Z, or I haven't done PDQ, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. We all feel like we don't deserve God's love and forgiveness in some way. There's some obstacle that seems to be holding us back from the concept that we can throw these things out of the way and receive the grace of God. This story, God is screaming at humanity, there is no one who is too unclean. There is no one who is too far gone. The grace of God is for truly anyone. We need to be honest about our starting point. It helps others get past that hurdle of unworthiness. And we need to be clear about the change. One of the things I love about this, this passage is 
the, the man who is transformed is really the last person to, to sort of realize in the course of the story as, as, the, as Luke writes it. He's the last one to articulate the change. The herdsmen who've, I mean, so let's just take this into account. Uh, Jesus literally destroyed their economy. Right? He sent it over a cliff. This is their livelihood. These are not uh, you know, wealthy ranchers with oil money. These are peasants raising pigs in a cemetery. And over the cliff they go. So they're not just afraid, they're furious. right? Like, hey, this guy's a threat to my livelihood. Um, and yet... Not even they can deny that God's power and authority have been demonstrated in front of them. They don't fully understand it at this point, but they go and tell. They start telling the story. They start telling this man's story before he does. They go out and they tell others, like, dude, you're not going to believe what happened down by the lake this morning. I don't even know where to begin. And so... It is a clear demonstration of God's power and authority. And what I mean by that, you are probably several degrees more spiritual than I am. Just going to put that out there. Right? And so, if you or I were to encounter someone who was truly demon-possessed, And they said to us, What have you to do with me? I beg you, do not torment me. (laughs) What would you do? If a demon voice came out of a human body and said, What do you want with me? What would you do? Yeah, first I think I'd pee a little. And then I would run or hide or cry or I don't know. There would be liquid involved. Um, I mean, this is not this is not normal. This is weird. This is freaky, freaky, weird. And Jesus just sort of steps in like a boss and says, get out. The, the part where he asks for their name of the demons, this is, a, this is like a, it's a crazy little Near Eastern power play. And you notice, the, the demons already knew Jesus' name. Did you notice that? Like he just steps off the boat, and they're like, oh, son of God, Jesus, whoa. What do you want with us? Right? And Jesus just sort of stands there and says, What's your name? And this is, this is Jesus demonstrating that he has authority over these entities. He's going to name them, he's going to cast them out, and he's going to cleanse this person from their troubled soul. So, what does that mean for us, it means 
that the change comes by God's power and authority. And it means that God is moving each of us toward healing and wholeness. And you see this in the passage. The, the villagers come back, and there's this guy sitting there clothed in his right mind, just calm as a cucumber, hanging out with Jesus. We are to be clear that the change in our own hearts comes by God's power and authority that is moving toward healing and wholeness and that it happens in ways that are evident to others. That this transformation that takes place because of God's grace through Jesus Christ should bear evidence. It should be obvious to onlookers. And in this story, it was obvious, right? Like, there's total transformation. In my life, or maybe in your life, it's not so immediately obvious every day, but we need to go back to this truth that we have received something we did not deserve. And so that should help us to relate to other people on terms of grace. I can do for you something you don't necessarily deserve because I have received something I definitely did not deserve. I don't get to look down on anyone anymore. My only point of view is laying at the feet of Jesus and looking up to the cross. So here we are in this story of transformation and each of us in our own way and in, in God's timing for each one of us in our own story of transformation. While we start with our before story and we try to be honest about where we started and clear about the change that has taken place, we also want to focus on the main character in our story, which, ironically, is not me, it's not you, it's not any of us, it's Jesus. It's the one who did the work. When we, in our own stories, can point to Jesus as the main impetus for change in our lives, we can tell other people, we can demonstrate to other people that he is the one who restores. He is the one who heals. And so these villagers that come down to check out what happened, they come down and it's, it's very clear to them. So 13 people step off of this boat. The demons immediately recognize which one they are dealing with. Jesus does his thing. The herdsmen flee up the hill. They tell everyone they can find. People come flooding down. And they immediately see, like, there's the crazy guy. But who is this, like, glowing dude, right? Like, who is this? This is the one. This is the one that brought about the change. This is the one who showed up and everything changed. And they could clearly see that it was Jesus 
who had restored this man and who had healed this man. And all of this points to God's compassion. That it is his love for you that compelled him to go to the cross, to give up his one and only son, to demonstrate that God loves us enough to die for us. And so, for whom is this compassion directed? Well, in our story, it is directed toward the despised of this world and toward the fearful of this world. These are the two entities that we see being exposed to the grace of God through Jesus Christ. One of them is transformed. The other ones are bewildered and afraid. And we'll, we'll get to the significance of that in a moment. But I cannot emphasize this enough, that we are not the main characters in our stories. We need to recognize this and be able to demonstrate that it's Jesus who brought restoration and healing, who moved toward the despised and the fearful. And then the third thing that I think we see in this passage is a call to find our audience. That is, we have to, we have to know our story, and we have to know our starting point, and we have to know the person who brought about the change. And then we have to ask the question, how does God want to use this to speak to others. And I'll put it as simply as I can. Whatever you've been through, there is someone else out there who's going through that right now. And so, who is the most impacted by the journey of this demon-possessed man? The people who lived where he lived. The people who had seen him in their daily lives. And so they are the ones who are paying the most attention. And I, I love thinking about this story from the perspective of the disciples who are just like, where are we going? Wait, is that a cemetery? Those pigs? Dude, is that guy naked? Ew! Can we get out of here? And Jesus is like, no. I'm on a mission. I want to show you something. right? But the people who are most impacted are the ones who basically sent that guy to that cemetery, who banned him from their villages, who said, you are no longer welcome here. And there he is, sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. They are the audience, these villagers, the people who live where he lives. In your own life, it's, it's the people who are going through something you've already been through. That's your audience. Those are the people God wants to use you to speak to, to demonstrate to them that there's hope, that his power can transform and heal. We are to be able to go where God sends us. You see in this story, what does the guy want? Can I please get out of here? Like, I hate it here. These people hate me. Can I please just get in your boat and come with you? Which 
probably if you've seen a first century Galilean fishing boat, that probably would have been enough to sink the boat. Thirteen people was already overloaded. Jesus says, no. You stay here. Tell your story. Tell your story to the people who are already around you. And we have to remember that God's will is not about what we want. It's about Him calling out of us the fulfillment of His will. That's what we're doing. We're to go where God sends us. Well, it's probably not the place you want to be the most. I mean, I don't know about you. I'd I'd rather be fishing. Oh, wait, I am going to be fishing. Ha, sorry. Um, It's not about what we want. It's about carrying out the will of God. Being faithful to what he wants from us. So to go where God sends us and to connect with the before stories of those we are around. To be able to say to someone, not I know what you're going through. No, you don't. But to say to someone, I'm with you. I, I feel your pain. And I don't have any answers. I just, I know you've got to be hurting. To be present there in the same way that Jesus was present in that cemetery. To let others know that you've been through similar trials. To let them know you've been there in your own way. To keep it simple. I love what Jesus told this guy. Not, okay, you need to memorize the Apostles' Creed, and anytime somebody asks you, you need to reassure them of all of these creedal truths. Not that there's anything wrong with the Apostles' Creed. It's good stuff. It's good material. He just says, just tell people what God has done for you. It's that simple. What is your starting point? Who is the agent of change? And what has God done for you? That's the story. And then in all of this, we have to keep in view God's larger plan. This is something I'm just going to, you know, I'm going kind of uh, off passage here a little bit. But this is probably my favorite part of this story. So let's think about where we are geographically, right? So you're, you've got the Jordan River going up and down, north-south. At the bottom of it's the Dead Sea. Nobody wants to go there. At the top of it is the Sea of Galilee. There's fish in there. There's boats. There's life. And on one side of the Lake of Galilee is Judea or Israel, the, pe- the kingdom of Israel, On the other side is this foreign land that was called the Decapolis, the Ten Cities area. All right? And in these ten little towns around that lake where there was life and food source, etc., 
there was quite a bit of commerce, there was quite a bit of culture, there was quite a bit of uh, variety of religious expression. And Jesus sends this guy back there. He says, go tell what God has done for you over there, where no one's going to understand anything other than I used to be tormented and now I'm free. And there was this guy named Jesus, right? And so he's going around these 10 cities just talking about Jesus. Well, Jesus was only with his disciples as their leader for about three years, we think. So somewhere in that three-year span, he takes them, and and it's, it's far enough into his time on earth or time in ministry on earth that crowds are gathering. They, they originally got into this boat to escape the throngs of people who were gathering around Jesus who wanted either bread, fish, or healing. And Jesus is like, i got to get out of here. And they, they go out on the lake. There's the storm. You've heard that story. And then they cross the lake, and they land in this insane place. And within just a couple of years, maybe a year and a half from the time this story occurs... Jesus will be condemned to death in Jerusalem. He will be crucified. He'll be laying in a tomb. And on the third day, he will rise from the dead. And all of the people who followed him, who will see this miraculous transformation of the Son of God from just another religious leader to the Savior of the world... Once that becomes clear to all of those people, they will soon no longer be welcome in their hometown. Jerusalem was not a hospitable place for the first Christians. They considered Jesus to be the Jewish Messiah. And the Jewish establishment who did not recognize that were not very friendly to that claim. And so Christians would be soon thereafter persecuted, even executed for holding to this faith, they would need a place to flee. They were not welcome on the Israel side of the Jordan or Lake Galilee, but they would receive a very warm reception in the area of the Decapolis. There's no way that Anyone other than Jesus in this story would have had any concept that he was laying groundwork and setting the stage and preparing a place for his people to find refuge by sending this one extreme case back home to just tell people what God has done for you. And such an unbelievable step on God's part to literally prepare the ground for his people to spread his love. God's will is a really difficult thing to fully grasp. And there are times when we just have to hear the simplicity of of just tell people what God has done for you. I'm working on something. I'm laying groundwork. I'm setting a stage. 
I'm preparing a field for harvest. You may not see it on the immediate horizon. But you are a part of the movement of a God who knows no limits. There's no one beyond his grasp. There's no one who's too unclean or too far gone. We have a story that we have been transformed by the power of God, by his son's work on the cross, and that that forgiveness and grace literally and completely changes who we are and what our destiny includes. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we marvel at your word, at the ways in which you move in our lives, you move in this world, you move by your Spirit to carry out your will. And Lord, we don't always see it or understand it or even accept it, but we want to obey. We want to see you more clearly. We want to be a part of your movement in this world. Help each one of us to review our own story, to remember, to go and tell others what you have done for us, to be able to just sit in the simplicity of the gospel, to know that your love can transform anyone. It transformed us. It's still alive. It's still working. Your power is still real. Lord, continue that transformation of each of our hearts. Move us more and more toward wholeness and healing. And at the same time, help us to remember who it is that is bringing about the change and to give you glory and to be able to tell others what you have done for us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.